We made it day four of our World Cup previews here on Optoranalyst. Really grateful you've been enjoying the journey with us. We've made it through to groups G and H. But before we get into that, Matt and I are very delighted to be welcoming in an extremely special guest in an extremely special location. We're not in houses. We're not in sheds. We have Will Vanderveel with us, and he is out in Qatar covering the tournament for us here at Stats Perform. Will, you're all well? You're in the country. That's the most important thing. I, I'm very good. Thank you, gentlemen, for having me on. I'm in the country, and other than accreditation, expecting me to be female. It's all been very smooth. I really, I think we, we, I told Matt this story before we came on, and we both imagined like real Mrs. Doubtfire vibes for you for the course <laughs> yeah. of the tournament. So I have to dress up in various clothing throughout the rest of it all. But I wish I had. How's it? How's it been on the ground? So I mean, you've obviously only been there twenty four hours, and, and bar issues of accreditation. But I understand you've already been out today with the Netherlands camp today, sort of getting an insight into how their preparations are going for the tournament. Yeah, it was out. Um, there was a press. There was sort of Nathan Ake and Stephen Berghuis. So uh, they were talking about you know their upcoming game against Senegal, and obviously Sadio Mane being out. But in terms of first impressions, listen, I'd say like most of the desert kingdoms, there's a whiff of artificiality about the place but also some stunning buildings and some scenery. And let's face it, plenty of roads and buildings that are still to be completed. But the main thing you notice is the heat. I mean, it seems almost trite to point it out, given the whole reason we're having a Winter World Cup in the first place is because of the heat. But there is an oppressive humidity out there that does, does make the mind boggle about the early kickoffs and even the training we saw today. Um, I mean, I was filming for 15 minutes and uh, almost collapsed. <laughs> so how those guys are kicking balls and running around in it um, is beyond me, really. Um, yeah. Yeah, we've already Stunning. seen, for instance, Wales have moved their training times to later in the day. They were trying to train in that real heat of the day. I know they've already moved it back. And I think we're seeing it's one of these weird things that already some of the training sessions we're seeing, these press, these training sessions are getting later and later in the day. And it, it's going to be interesting. We were talking about uh, Germany yesterday and they played this very high pressing, high intensity, create a lot of high turnovers. And are they going to be able to do that in this heat? Because th this could no, be but Belly, we we talked about this ahead of the 2014 World Cup. I remember it really well. Where we're like, they are not going to be, the Germans are not going to be able to handle that heat in Brazil. There's no way to be able to do it. Perfectly fine, and and won the world. And then there was even that wasn't they have further to travel than everyone else as well. That there's so much going against them. They're never going to do well in this tournament. Look out in the groups and go and win it. So uh, I won't worry about that. I was talking about general. I wasn't just doing Germany. I will be honest. It's not just, just you know. yeah, anti-German vibes already. Just like <laughs> Germany, definitely Germany are going up. But I think what we'll see as well aren't all the stadiums air conditioned, so actually there won't be too much issue in games. I think we're seeing issues with training, obviously pre preparation because the training grounds and pitches aren't air conditioned. But from what I understand, all the stadiums are even pitch level. Yeah, no idea what that would feel like at the moment or to what extent that actually works. There is supposed to be some air conditioning, but for the, for the early kickoffs, I mean, like I said, the mind boggles to think how they would sort of survive in that heat. I think in terms of the pressing, you would expect them to do it in bursts and really not as much as we see, particularly in England. Um, and it would maybe favour a bit more of a technical approach for those early kickoffs. You think in the evening, I mean, the sun sets quite early here around sort of like, you know, 4.30, 5 o'clock, actually same as the UK back home. So there is a, a lessening, you know, a sort of a drop off in terms of the heat, but it's still it's still pretty hot. Um, so it'll be interesting to see the contrast between the sort of afternoon kickoffs and the, and the early uh, and the evening games. Sorry. Um, but yeah, I would I would expect teams to adapt. There's no way you're going to be able to press other teams for 90 minutes uh, out in this heat. 
obviously we normally focused on the data side, but there is one sort of big story that's sort of emerging already out of Qatar today, which is this very late change at the moment, seemingly in the banning of the sale of alcohol in the stadiums. Uh, there's sort of been quite a bit of talk about it. What, what's the feeling on the ground about this? What, was this expected? Has it, is it sort of come out of nowhere? Well, I mean, at the moment, in truth, there's mostly media here more than sort of fans. You know, there are small pockets of fans, but we're expecting those to come in in the next few days. I think, yeah, so the Qatari royal family just decided not to allow beer sold at any of the eight stadiums. Obviously, previously, you know, the idea was that they could serve it in select areas within stadiums, despite it being a Muslim country and, and generally strictly controlled. Uh, apparently, the corporate areas at the tournament, at the uh, at stadiums at the tournament, will still be able to purchase alcohol. But this is a late change and one that's really likely to annoy fans um, because it will make a huge difference to their match day experience. You know, and it, it's two days before we start with uh, Qatar versus Ecuador. So, you know, uh, a lot of people will be questioning what's behind it. I mean, some of the main sponsors, I think, are someone like Budweiser, must be up in arms about this as well. Um, so we'll see what happens with the fans. Um, but I expect, yeah, to be a, a lot of annoyance. Well, well, thanks very much for joining. I'm sure we're going to dive back in with you at some point in this tournament. Um, we'll be able to get a little bit more feeling on the ground. As you say, that's going to be the sort of thing. We're, we, we can only comment from afar, but having people on the ground is really going to make a big benefit to us. So great to catch up with you, Will. Go enjoy. Where are you off to for the next? What, what they got planned for you tomorrow, for instance? I'm actually in the media centre doing uh, back-to-back presses. I think Arsene Wenger's doing some bits and, and various others here. So um, uh, a nice day in the air conditioning for me uh, rather than outside. But, yeah, been a pleasure, gents. We'd love to come back on. And, um, yeah, great show. Cheers, Will. Thanks very much, mate. Take care of yourself. Oh, I cut him off there. That was a bit harsh on the uh, finger there. But, he looked uh, like he was in King's Cross Station. I'm not sure he is in Qatar. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think he most definitely has been out there, judging by the number I saw going out on their flight yesterday. Right, we'll have guys out on the ground throughout the whole tournament. We'll be able to bring you some insights from in the field as well. But for now, let's just very quickly enroll into... Where do we want to go? Group G or Group H? Because I can see our very special guest has joined us. We can go Group H. We'll, we'll go back to front like we did the other day. We'll start we'll, with Group we'll H. We'll switch it around. Apologies, everybody. We're yeah. going to swing this one around. We've got one of our amazing uh, writers who helps us out a load on Opter Analyst. Really great to have him on board with us. Aaron is with us here. Aaron, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. How about you? Well, yeah, I'm feeling more pumped about this World Cup as the days roll by, I think it's fair to say. We really are sort of just closing in on the, uh, on the uh, sort of start of it now, really, and I think that's really helping. Let's just get the latest from our predictor numbers before I let you and Matt dive into uh, what we can expect to see, especially from Portugal for its tournament, with the latest from the uh, Opta Analyst supercomputer. I think there's absolutely no surprises there. Portugal, heavy favourites to qualify from Group H at 81.43% and nearly a 55% chance of winning the group as well. Uruguay also expected to go through 64.89% chance of qualifying with a just below 30% chance of winning the group. But at the moment, seemingly, no one is backing Korea, South Korea or Ghana to be making their way through. But let's have a little bit of a dive through into the Portugal side with Matt and Aaron. Aaron, 4-0 last night against Nigeria in your uh, last warm-up game for the World Cup. Very impressive performance, especially from Bruno Fernandes. Only 45 minutes on the pitch, but still scored two goals. No Ronaldo last night. Do you think that he'll be back for the uh, opening game or do you think they might leave him out? To be honest, I think he'll go straight back in. Knowing sort of the history of, of these type of games where Ronaldo's been missing, Portugal have perhaps maybe looked a little bit more free-flowing than than without him, uh, than with him rather. And then 
yeah, tend, tend to put them back in. Obviously, he's still got that massive goal threat, so, you know, it, it does make sense, but it's it's definitely true that Portugal do play differently with him on the pitch and without him on the pitch. Uh, and last night was just another sort of a performance where Portugal looked like they knew they were favourites, which we don't really see from Portugal, despite the top talent that they've got in the ranks, sometimes to set up a little bit a little bit negatively and, and happy to let the opposition have the ball. But last night was just the performance of we're better than the opposition. We're going to control the game. Uh, we're better in, you know, the attacking areas. And and that's 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 what you saw. It didn't look forced last night. It didn't look like they were trying to play to a particular focal point. It was very natural. It was very organic. And it was brilliant to watch, to be honest. Interesting you made that point because I was my next question was going to be, do you think that this Portuguese team as a team unit, are stronger without Ronaldo because he's not that obsessive focal point in the side? Do you think that actually overall they'd be strong without him in the starting eleven? It's a difficult one because I think the way that... I think there's, there'd be a way for Portugal to play with him and be even stronger than they were last night. And that's if the team and the setup wasn't entirely catered to him, but then he was still on the pitch to provide that sort of finishing touch. It, Let's let's face it. He's he's one of, if not the greatest goal scorer ever. He if he if he gets a chance, more than likely he's going to you know at least make the keeper work or score. I think you you know you don't score over sort of seven hundred club goals and and over a hundred international goals for it, you know if you're no good in those areas. But I think when he does play, I think it does affect the Portuguese players in that they feel like they have more of a there's more impetus on them to give the ball to him um, when without him on the pitch, they'd maybe play with a little bit more freedom. So it's not completely Cristiano Ronaldo's fault because I think if there was a system set up that the players could sort of play freely and then use Ronaldo sort of when he's in the right moments, rather than sometimes we see it it's there's a better pass on, but I better put the ball in. I better cross. It's a lot more direct. There's a lot more of using him sort of as a, as a focal point. But to be honest, with him in the side, I can still see... If they played similarly to how they played last night in in a sort of diamond formation, last night you had Andre Silva, who would be the kind of Cristiano Ronaldo if he went into that side, that more traditional, sort of taller, bigger presence, better in the air, and then have someone like Joao Felix who played off the sort of more recognised striker. And, you know, that, that could work. That's similar to how Portugal played in 2016. It was it was Ronaldo and, and the, the Joao Felix in that case was... was um, was like Nanny, that sort of playing, or Charisma sort of almost playing as a, in 2018, it was like Charisma almost playing as a as a striker, but it's really two wide men up front. Um, so yeah, it, it's a difficult one to say whether they're better or not, but they're definitely different. You, you talk about Felix there. Um, I wouldn't go as far as say his career's stalled since moving to Atletico Madrid, but he's not, he's not really had the playing time, as you can see here on this graphic. But this season, he's it's been quite frustrating. It's this low, every season, really season by season, we're seeing a lower proportion of playing time. So this season, he's only played forty three point three percent of possible minutes at Atletico. Last season, it was forty four point seven, and in his first two seasons, he played fifty four point five percent of uh, possible minutes. For a young player at his stage in his career, where we're hoping actually, there's been a lot of hype about him, especially moving to Atletico on such a high transfer fee obviously performed brilliantly at Benfica before he joined. 
do you think actually he needs to, this is a tournament where he can maybe put himself in the shop window, not only to let Atletico fans and, and Diego Simeone know that he can perform at the top level, but also thinking ahead to maybe next season where maybe someone could come in for him and give him those minutes that he needs to progress as a footballer. Definitely. I think you're 100% spot on. I think it's an opportunity for him to to showcase what we all know that he can do. I mean, last night he was nothing short of sensational. His, his, his overall play, he was dropping deep into pockets. He was running in behind. He was pulling out wide. Some of his passes, like last night, was just not so much the stuff that he was doing just in front of goal, but his, his actual sort of his, his build-up play was phenomenal. And I think... At Atletico, the, the minutes have dwindled. He's had injury issues as well, which which we do have to, to take into consideration. But that's why I think this season is unique because he hasn't been playing, not just because of injuries. He just hasn't been getting selected, really, which hasn't really been that much of a problem for him at Atletico up to now. I think this season, he's just came off the back of nine consecutive games, starting from the bench, fully fit, just on the bench. Uh, when he has been coming on, he's he's been making a difference. I think... He's, he's, I think he's got four goals in his last four games for Atleti. Uh, he came off the bench against Cadiz and, and scored twice towards the end. Atletico really should have won that, but ended up losing the game. Uh, three, so two. do you think that he's going to have that kind of role in this Portuguese team as an impact sub, maybe? Or do you think actually he could be starting in that first game? Perhaps. I think I, I see him more coming off the bench just because I do think Ronaldo will go straight back into the side. And uh, uh, whether Portugal play as they did last night in that sort of diamond, because it, there was a lot of changes in that side that you think that's that really isn't the Portugal that we've been witnessing recently. Like Bernardo Silva was playing more centrally and in midfield, whereas you imagine when the World Cup starts, he'll go straight back to being a winger in this sort of 4 3 3, which I mean. If last night was anything to go by, it's really optimistic. But the Portuguese pessimism is that it, it's just the last game before the World Cup. And when we go into the tournament, it'll it'll completely revert back to type. But yeah, I think for Joao Felix, I think when he whether he starts or whether he comes off the bench, if he's able to get on the ball and he's able, able to play with the sort of freedom he had last night and can make things happen, it will make other sort of clubs sit up and think, and his own, like you said, Atletico and Simeone. Simeone will know what you know what he can do. I think he said in a press conference a couple of weeks ago, it's nothing against Joao not playing. It's just that there's other players who are who are performing at a higher level. And you think if that's not a if that's not a statement for you to you know a bit of a kick up the backside, it, he's sort of shown in the last couple of games that when he is playing and when he is sort of on song, he's he's up there with the best in the world and. It'll be an interesting tournament for him. I'm sure he's got a point to prove because, like you said, a lot of hype, a high transfer fee, and then he's moved to a club and he's almost, at times, like last season, he's almost playing as a wing-back. That's not what he wants to be doing. Mm. He wants to be in those sorts of areas in the final third, making a difference and, and being a hero for his nation. Uh, another player we talked about earlier, Bruno Fernandes, uh, scored twice last, se- uh, last night against Nigeria. He's having... A very good season domestically. I wouldn't say under the radar, but probably underappreciated by many fans, not just Man United, overall Premier League fans. We can see this season so far that in all competitions, he's been involved in 150 attacking sequences um, in his 1,726 competitive minutes. That is miles more than any other Premier League player. There is a caveat here in that, yes, they played in the Europa League 
And yes, in a couple of games, they had a monumental amount of shots. I mean, even in one of the Premier League games against Spurs as well. But Fernandez has been the focal point in that in a lot of those moves and attacking moves. And you can see there, 41 shots himself from open play, 46 chances created in open play, 63 attacking moves where he's been involved in the build-up. That is a high number as well in the build-up. So he's been an integral part of United's side. Is he going to be as integral for Portugal in this tournament? Um, will he be the player that you think can drive Portugal further into this competition to the last stages? I definitely hope so. Uh, I think he's got all everything that he needs to to be able to be that man. You, when you look at those sorts of like attack and sequence involvements, him when he gets on the ball in those deep positions, he's able to drive whether it be United or Portugal last night up the pitch and and sort of move through the gears. And sometimes he's criticised for being a little bit cheap in possession, and his passing accuracy isn't always sort of the best, but. If you compare him with some he's players... He's a risk taker, isn't he? That's why. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The, the players who pass side to side and sort of backwards, uh, you know, they finish the game with the high 90s. Look at some of Bruno Fernandes' assists. You think they they look absolutely magnificent when they happen, but he might try that pass three or four times in, in a game and it really pays off when, when it does happen. And if he can sort of have that self-belief in a Portugal shirt, which is something that's been questioned in the past, a lot of the Celestial fans, especially back in Portugal... Uh, with have sort of a belief that he, he's never really he's never really done it for Portugal or he's never really done it on a consistent basis, which is which is a fair point. Um, he'll be wanting just like Joel Felix, he'll be wanting to prove when he's got a Portugal jersey on, he is and he can be the sort of main man despite the you know the the, the talent that's that's in that side. Last night he played in the diamond. He played almost to the right hand side, not not right midfield, but the right of this sort of midfield diamond. And it's similar to the position uh, Renato Sanchez played in 2016. So you're almost sort of playing out wide, but as, a, but as a central midfielder, like a wide eight. And I think when he plays there, he's brilliant because he's not far enough up the pitch that if you, you know, if Portugal lose the ball and it's, it, it, it's a bit of a risk when he's sort of deeper and he's in a more packed midfield with someone like William Carvalho behind him, Atavio to the left of him, Bernardo Silva in front of him. There's a lot more sort of options for him to use and he can play those little one-twos. Like last night, he was constantly giving it to the fullback and then bombing on into those sort of wide right positions, dropping deep, picking up the ball and trying to impact the game. And I think when he... A Bruno Fernandes that's heavily involved in the game is a good Bruno Fernandes because more than likely he's going to, you know, sort of get on the ball, make things happen. And he should have had a hat-trick really last night. Uh, the other guy we spoke about, Joao Felix, played it. This defence split and pass, it was unbelievable. Bruno's got onto the other end of it, sort of took it round the keeper and just just put it wide. I'm sure they really had a, a first half hatch, he'll be disappointed with that. But uh, yeah, another a brilliant performance from last night. And I, I just hope we see it as we go into the competition. So overall in this competition, at the moment in our uh, percentage chance of being champions for the World Cup, we've got Portugal at 5.32%. That is the eighth favourite behind the Netherlands and Germany um, as well as Spain, England, France, Argentina and Brazil which is uh, it feels strange because Portugal on paper especially their starting 11 you feel that actually that is one of the strongest sides in this World Cup yeah they also it wasn't that far ago that they won the European Championships they beat France in their own backyard 
Do you think that a lot of people are underestimating this Portugal team at this World Cup? Do you think they're, I hate to use very dark horses again, but do you feel that actually they could go very far in this competition, even win it? I think the, the, the frustration for Portugal and for, for the Portugal supporters is that they've always believed, especially in recent years, that they've got a team, not just the starting eleven, but a team that's capable of winning every tournament that they enter. The harsh reality of it is, is that the football isn't played on paper and that Portugal have been largely underwhelming, whether that be tactical approaches, whether that be to, you know, just bad luck in games, uh, missed chances. And there's this sort of belief that because you know, Portugal have re- haven't really they haven't done well in a World Cup since what, two thousand and six. It's a long time considering the, the talent that's in this this Portugal team. But again it, it's that Do you think this is better than that Portuguese team? Probably in terms of depth, yeah. In terms of depth, de- definitely. I mean, last night, if you look at that Portugal starting starting eleven, and then you look at the, the likes of like Joao Cancelo sitting on the bench, and it's like hmm. Nuno Mendes starting left back, and then you can bring on Rafael Guerreiro. Like if you compare, even if you compare the team, which played in the, pretty much the same formation from then to twenty sixteen, the team that won the Euros, there's a couple of players in there who are sort of similar, but you replace the likes of Adrian Silva. For Bernardo Silva, which is you know is an upgrade, I think um, Otavio last night was brilliant. Um, obviously, Bruno's really emerged. Cancelo wasn't at the at the Euros recently either, so that's a bit of a boost. But it, it just just going back to the just going back to the question, I think it, it, I think you'd be con- considered more to be favourites if Portugal could actually perform on a consistent basis. But time after time, the qualification is usually a mess. I mean. Even you know, got having to go into playoffs and having to sort of, you know, real nail biting moments. They had a game recently against Spain where all they had to do was draw, and the pessimism before the game, especially within the Portuguese media, was just rife. It was like if Portugal set up to play for the draw, which we think Fernando Santos will, they'll lose. Just go out and play and and play sort of how you know you can rather than limiting yourself and playing within yourself and and lo and behold that that's what happened the same thing happened in the game with uh, Serbia not long ago conceded a late goal yeah. he scored it's sort of start didn't he as well and, and yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's this sort of like there's all the negative mindsets almost setting yeah back yeah, yeah. And, and I think like, like you say you look at most teams most of the elite clubs around Europe have Portuguese players in the starting lineup. I mean Paris Saint-Germain have Start usually three Portuguese players in their eleven. Man City three in their out of their eleven, and um, you know the likes of Liverpool, Manchester United. These these big clubs that all compete at the highest level, and then you've got a couple from Benfica who haven't lost a game in the competition. They sh- all these players should be really informed, really confident about their ability to perform at the highest level. Yet they get together as a collective, and as you say, you come into the tournaments what the eighth or the ninth favourites. It's it's yeah, it, it's more just a worry of history repeating itself rather than actually being confident. Yeah, this is the team. Portugal can go really far. There isn't really that belief. Because we, as, as we said about that on paper, you'd think in this group with Ghana, Uruguay, South Korea, Portugal should win this group. Yeah. But all three of those sides are very tricky opponents. Yeah. And there's, there's nothing to say that Portugal could actually finish bottom of that group. Depending on everything that happens, you go open up against Ghana. Um, we've got a little graphic here showing how Ghana actually 
one of the most inexperienced teams at the tournament. Uh, they're the youngest side. I think they have the youngest average caps as well in the squad. So they're a bit of an unknown. They uh, beat Switzerland 2-0 in a friendly, um, was it yesterday or the day before, uh, one of those games. But they played really impressively in that match as well. They're going to be going out in that game against Portugal on the first match day with no fear whatsoever. Also, Portugal will be one of the last teams to play a game in the group stage. You kind of have seen how other nations yeah. will have got on. Um, then that's, if you don't win the opening game against Ghana, you've got arguably the trickiest game in the group against Uruguay. Um, technically, you could be out of the tournament by the time you play South Korea in that third match if things don't go to plan. Yeah. That would be considered an absolute disaster in Portugal, obvious for obvious reasons. Is that is that negative mindset almost... Are people kind of expecting disaster in this tournament in Portugal? Or are they expecting the teams go far? It, it probably differs uh, between Portuguese fans and then international, well, those living outside of Portugal. But, uh, the Portuguese are renowned for having this uh, sort of pessimistic mindset, this negative mindset. Uh, I have a couple of mates who continually remind me whenever I text them anything optimistic about Portugal is that no, they're, they're Portuguese. They just they believe that it'll never happen to them, sort of thing. And you, you're right that, that this group is all about timing. And we saw what happened in, in 2014. Obviously, the, the hardest game was the first game rather than the second game against Germany. But after that, you then think, well, we've got a tricky game against the USA here, who will be coming out. And looking to you know cause an upset, and then the last game was was against the familiar opponents in Ghana, who, who they'll mm. be playing in this tournament. And it, it, the tournament is so short that if you don't get off to a good start, it, it then that sort of negativity can then creep in even more so to to think oh, we're going out already. And because then you if play you don't that get off to a good start, the likelihood you won't finish top. Yeah, and you'll probably play Brazil in the next round, which is definitely something no team wants to do really no. early in the tournament. Yeah. So that probably is why Portuguese chances of success in this tournament are low in our predictor, because the yeah. likelihood is that they could face Brazil in the <coughs> next round. So winning this group is crucial. It's Not to say that yeah. any any possible game against Serbia, as we saw recently, is easy, <laughs> or Switzerland or Cameroon, um, but it would be a hell of a lot easier than playing Brazil. Uh, especially. Yeah. So what are your personal views? Do you think Portugal can go far in this tournament? Do you think they're going to get out of the group stage? I think Portugal will, will get out of the group stage. I think my, when I when I, when I I did my prediction, I think I had Portugal finishing second. Uruguay are one of those sides that they've, they're actually emerging as, as most people sort of dark horse now. It was almost like no one spoke about them and then you actually start to rack up some of the players that they've got in their ranks and you think and there's you know there's some players in there who'll be familiar to the Portuguese audience as well but a lot of people and, aren't considering here that they have the final group stage game against Ghana and there could be a multitude of injuries and suspensions following that game <laughs> yeah that's true that's true um so it, it, it's um that'll be that'll be a feisty one for sure but yeah the the for me it, it's it's always twofold with Portugal because you look at the way Portugal played last night and on and with a performance like that in a tactical setup like that with a positive attitude, a positive sort of mindset of when we get on the ball we're going to make things happen. We're going to stay defensively sort of astute, not going to be stupid. But when we've got the ball, it's this sort of we're better than the opposition. It's almost this sort of drilling it in that you should go and and 
dominate possession. You should be the team that are creating chances. And if Portugal play like that, they'll I think they'll top the group because the man for man they've got more than those other three sides. But then, yeah, I do think if you can get off to a get off to a win in the in the opening game, perhaps it sets the tone. Yeah, a draw maybe with 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 the Uruguay and then a win on the on the last day or. You know, it, it all does really depend, I think, on that first game. I think a Portugal can just do enough to get over the line. What we have, if we look at the way Fernando Santos manages in a, in a more positive light, is that despite the sort of recent hiccups in the games where he's had to draw, um, he has shown that Portugal can be very, very hard to beat. I mean, he won a European Championship off the fact that Portugal just didn't lose. Uh, and, th- and when they had to win, they did. And... It might not be the prettiest football to watch, but in the past it has been effective. There's just that frustration that Portugal can do so much more than that. But I think if you know if Portugal need to play for a point, let's let's just hope that if they do go with a, a that more negative mindset, shall we say that that it Portugal get it over the line. But who knows? Yeah, I have Portugal going through in, in second and then facing Brazil. Who knows what will happen there? I know what will happen. They'll get knocked out. (laughs) Right. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been great to have your insight into Portugal team and everything behind the setup. Uh, Hopefully, we'll be speaking to you after the opening game. We can have a chat after the Ghana game, see how things went and how you're feeling about their chances of progression following that match. Definitely. Um, Enjoy the games this weekend and uh, we'll chat after that one. Just before Jeez. you go, Aaron, just let um, tell everybody where they can keep up with you. Obviously, you do great writing for us here at Optor Analyst, but also uh, if people want to dive more into your Twitter account and such, like let let the let our audience know on podcast and YouTube and Twitch where they can find you. Yeah, so you can follow my personal account at Aaron Barton UK on Twitter. I sort of share the pieces that I do for Optor Analyst and also for Prossima Jornada, which is a, a website that I created to provide insight and information into Portuguese football in English. We've also got a podcast which will be um, updating frequently and recording episodes throughout the World Cup on a more Portuguese focus. And then obviously the stuff that I do for Optin Analyst as well, which I really enjoy doing. Lots of insights into Portuguese players, coaches and clubs. Well, Aaron, that was, that was probably the most amazing sort of 25 minutes we've had of this uh, preview series so far. So I, I have, I unfortunately... Cheers, Belly. Cheers. You've not been happy in my last three days, but... <laughs> <laughs> Let the audience decide that one. But um, yeah, I'm now back in this Portugal team. You, you sort of so many things that all of a sudden you're bringing into focus there. Really great. Thanks, Aaron. Enjoy the rest of your no, day, mate. No worries. Take care. Thanks, guys. Bye. So that leaves us with just one group. Uh, yep, we've got to the 31-minute mark of the podcast and we've only got one yeah. more group to do. We're going but, back. We're going back to Group G. We're going back to the to Group G very quickly here. We, we'll rattle through this quite quickly, I think, because, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll, we'll look we at... All know, we all know Brazil are probably going to win this group. Yeah, um, I mean, this and, and our supercomputer's backing that as well. A 68.7% uh, chance of Brazil winning the group, nearly 90% chance of qualifying for this group. Unsurprising, as you've already seen uh, and already heard in today's show they're also our current supercomputer favorites for it below that gets a little more interesting though obviously with switzerland serbia and cameroon uh switzerland just slightly more favored than serbia to go through switzerland 48.8 percent chance compared to serbia's 45.1 percent chance cameroon do themselves have a chance of qualifying at 16.1 percent as well should we talk about brazil very quickly i, I mean yeah I've got them down as my side in my Optimillion, which you can take part in on the analyst.com. 
uh, if you correctly predict the World Cup uh, standings in all the group stages and also uh, go all the way through the knockout stages, you will win potentially one million US dollars. That's available for you at theanalyst.com now. When I did my simulation, I had Brazil going all the way through to the final. I don't think they really get out of first gear in this tournament until about the quarterfinals. And they, they're just... The quality of that squad they put on the table is outstanding. They're going to canter through the groups. We'll not be surprised if it's another three victories. I think that'll make it, I think that's 18 matches at group stages in a row without a defeat for yeah. Brazil after that. So, yeah. It great team. Qualifying as well. They, they just, they are a great side. I had them going out the semis to Argentina in my bracket. Um, but that game could go either way. So it could easily be a Brazil final. And if they get to the final, I think they win. It's between those two teams for me, Argentina and Brazil. Um, but yeah, if we, if we talk about in the qualifying, we all know Neymar is their superstar player. Um, the most frequently involved player in, in sequence involvements across the corner bowl qualifiers. He was also a top goal scorer at eight. They scored 40 goals overall in the qualifying. And only eight of those were by a top scorer, Neymar. So you can see actually how many goals they spread across that team. Um, they are such a threat. They've got so many good players on club stage as well. We all know the Brazilian squad really well. Um, yeah, I mean, we can't see past them winning this group. It's who finishes second in this group that I think is the most like intriguing question. For me, I think Serbia. I think that with Mitrovic, Vlahovic up top, those two together, Mitrovic, we all know in England how phenomenal he's been over the last what, 18 months, really, since the start of last season. And not a lot of people thought he would be able to transfer his form from the Premier um, the Championship to the Premier League, but he has done just that. 52 goals in English competitions, English club competitions, since the start of last season, which is more than any other player. All of them in the box. He's ridiculous. <laughs> and I love the fact it's a goal. It's literally nearly a goal per minute. I mean, that's just how it's short. Some of that stuff will have come from his time in the Championship, but as you say, more than able to repeat this in the Premier League. I've actually just gone and re-looked at my simulator again, and I've gone for Cameroon, and I can't remember why I've gone for Cameroon to advance here, which feels like a very risky opportunity. Well, they, but... they were good in AFCOM. Well, exactly. And I think there is a little bit of something. Maybe there's a little... I mean, my whole theory has been preparation and such. Like, I believe the Cameroon squad have been together for quite a little while, so they've been able to prepare themselves properly for this tournament. Um... But as you say, like this, Brazil are at the top. It's a three-way battle for second. And really, yeah. I think all of us would be delighted whichever way this one falls. It could be one of those quite exciting groups to watch, you know, for most of the games bar the ones bar Brazil. Yeah. And obviously they've got Vincent Abubakar, who scored eight goals in uh, AFCON earlier this year. That was the second most ever in a single tournament. So he, a few of those were from the penalty spot, we'll, we'll say that. <laughs> but he obviously has form in tournaments previously as their captain. Still only 30 years old. He's definitely in the, I would say, in the peak sort of years of his career. He could be a threat um, at this World Cup as well. So it's very much, it feels like this is the group where it's going to be the battle of the strikers. Uh, and I think Serbia will have enough. I think Vlahovic, Mitrovic, those two will get the goals they need. And I think it won't be an easy task for Brazil against Serbia. Um, but... Yeah, I think Brazil top, Serbia second, and I think um, Portugal will will be facing Brazil in the what, in the uh, what next a, round. Which what would not be what nice a enough. last sixteen clash that could be! Mm. And Ronaldo never scored a knockout goal in the World Cup, so uh, yeah. maybe he can get one against Brazil, knock them out. 
What a way to do it. What a way to do it. Right. Each and every one of you at home listening on the podcast or have been watching our streams throughout the preview, don't forget to fill in your Opta million bracket. You have until about 12 o'clock on the Sunday before the first game of the tournament for your chance to win one million US dollars. All you've got to do, predict the groups. You can use all the advice we've given you over the last four shows. Uh, and then you've also got to predict the knockout stages as well. If you do that, you could be walking away with a million US dollars. Not a bad start to the end of the year, is it, really? Right then, um, that's it for the previews, but that's not it for us here on the day-to-day live. We are going to be back every weekday throughout the tournament to bring you all the latest reviews, previews, data insights, amazing guests across the board. We've got some great people lined up to come and join us as well. Uh, We're going to be on air, I've got to get this right, at 9 GMT in the morning, so 0900 BMT, which I'm beginning to learn certain codes here, okay? So we'll be live nine. That means we'll be live 12 out in Qatar time. So just about an hour before kickoff of the first game each day in the morning. I think The hottest time of the day. So everyone in Qatar will be indoors. They yep. can watch us. Obviously, Come watch us. Everyone in Qatar will do. And if you don't want to watch us, and if you want to go for a run out on the streets, I don't know if you've seen Henry Winter's video, but the best reply, if, if dare I say, Twitter might all go wrong, but someone did reply, Henry has a penguin film this video, and I couldn't stop laughing for about five minutes off the back of that one. But if you do want to listen to the podcast well, just subscribe to us. You'll never miss an episode. We'll make sure it's delivered into your inboxes, hopefully before the three o'clock kickoffs. We'll try and get there before the 10 o'clock. It'll be easier as the tournament rolls on as well. We've also got more games launching on the website as well, so make sure you head across and take part in the Opta Challenge. That is already live on the site for the opening game of the tournament between Qatar and Ecuador. All you've got to simply do, make three predictions on questions that we ask you. And if you are correct with all three of those predictions, you'll be entered into a prize draw where you could win $500. Pretty decent. And also on Sunday, we'll have the very first Opta quiz coming out as well. Your chance to take on the quest for perfection. And if you do that in the quickest time, you might be taking home 1000 US dollars. We're just giving away money at the moment, Matt. I don't know what's going on. Bay's not being paid uh, anymore. All of his wages are going towards the prizes. So, yeah, please help Belly out and play these games. <laughs> we'll put the uh, Venmo or the PayPal on the bottom of the screen if people <laughs> want to help us. <laughs> right, Matt, you ready for this? I, I, I think there's a lot of, been a lot of build-up to this. I am fully ready for Qatar to be awarded a dodgy penalty with 10 <laughs> minutes left and win the game 1-0 this weekend against Ecuador. Well, let's see how that one pans out. I need them to go through because I've got them coming through to the last 16. Otherwise, my Optimillion bracket, if I was allowed to enter, would be out on uh, on the shame and I'd just be ashamed of myself. Uh, <laughs> on behalf of Matt and I, thank you very much for watching and listening wherever you are. Really do appreciate you all taking your time out to join us. We will see you on Monday, bright and early live or on the podcast as the 2022 World Cup gets underway. But on behalf of both us and all our brilliant guests throughout this preview series, take care of yourself and we'll see you when the tournament is underway. The Optimillion allows you to put your football knowledge to the test and potentially win big. Ahead of the World Cup, simply predict the group standings, the knockout winners, and the overall winner, and you could take home our million dollar prize. <laughs>